Good morning, everyone. Again, it's great to have you here this morning. For the last couple of weeks, we've been considering three things that God tells every believer to be waiting for. God tells us in his word that we should be eagerly waiting for the redemption of our bodies, the second coming of Christ, and the new heaven and the new earth. Now, these three things, as I mentioned last week, are part of theology known as eschatology. And eschatology is the study of last things. And these three things, the second coming of Christ, the redemption of our body, and the establishment of the new heavens and new earth, are literally the last things. Now, the historical view of eschatology teaches that the second coming of Christ, the redemption of the body, and the establishment of the heavens, new heavens and new earth are all simultaneous events. These three things will happen one after another without interruption on the last day. Now before we get to the, today's topic of sermon, I want you to see how our salvation in Christ is just a foretaste of our glorification. Our salvation in Christ, the Bible calls, is the first fruits, but our glorification will be the complete harvest. What we have received through Christ in our salvation is just a foretaste, the, the first fruits of what we will receive from Christ in our glorification. Through our salvation in Christ, we have forgiveness of our sins. And our glorification, we will be freed from sin altogether. In our salvation in Christ, we worship the Father in spirit and truth. But in our glorification, we will worship him face to face. What we have received from Christ in his first coming cannot be compared to what we will receive from Christ in his second coming. And as the apostle tells us, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men to be most pitied. But we do not hope in Christ for this life only. We also hope in Christ for the eternal life which is to come. Amen? Amen? So now let's consider the topic of today's sermon, waiting for the new heaven and the new earth, by first reading Romans chapter 8, verses 10 through 23. Hear now the word of God. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the Son of God. For creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers in pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, 
waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of the body. That finishes the reading of God's holy word. Now, as I share with you a couple weeks ago, the Bible teaches that we live in a fallen world. But of course, it wasn't always that way. Prior to the fall of man, everything was good, healthy, and vibrant. No corruption, no decay, no death. But at the moment of Adam's disobedience, all of humanity fell into corruption, which in theology is commonly known as original sin. As the scriptures teach us, through one man, that is Adam, sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men. But Adam's disobedience not only caused humanity to fall in the state of sin, spiritually, but it also changed humanity's physical composition by ushering in decay, disease, and, and death. This is our physical corruption. You see, Adam's disobedience plummeted humanity into a spiritual and physical corruption. Our spiritual corruption is restored through salvation in Christ, and our physical corruption will be restored on the day that Christ returns and we receive our glorified bodies. But not only did humanity fall into this condition of corruption, but our text teaches us that creation did too. Because of the fall of man, all of creation was subjected to corruption. Due to Adam's disobedience, creation was shackled as a slave to corruption. And immediately after Adam's disobedience, God said to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you, in reference to the corruption of creation. You see, creation as we view it today, with all of its beauty, its purple mountain majesties, its fruited plains, actually is dying. The universe, with all of its stars and its perfectly placed planets, are actually all running down. There's a factor in, in, in physics known as uh, enth entropy that indicates that the whole of creation is running down. And as a built-in tendency to disorder, decay, and dissolution. We see that from the study of scripture that this was part of man's decree. Our text tells us that it was because of God subjected creation to this corruption after the fall. And this condition of corruption will continue until the Lord comes and establishes the new heaven and a new earth. We see that basically creation is frustrated because it's looking for what it cannot find. 
It is frustrated and it's disappointed. It's looking to be set free, the text tells us, from its slavery to corruption. But it cannot find the freedom that it's looking for. See, creation's liberation will not happen until the Lord Jesus comes back and grants freedom to the glory of the children of God until we receive our full adoption as sons and daughters, until we receive the redemption of the body. You see, the spiritual and the physical are connected. Now, since creation's corruption was the result of the fall of man, then creation's release from this slavery can only occur when the fullness of redemption is accomplished for those who are redeemed in Christ. At the moment Christ comes and grants full redemption from the curse of the fall to his redeemed, at that moment creation will be set freed from its corruption. When believers receive their glorified bodies, Christ will establish the new heavens and the new earth. But until then, until Christ recurs, returns, creation is eagerly awaiting with anxious longing and groans. That's what the text tells us. Now, we don't think of creation having anxious longings. We don't think of creation having eager expectations. We don't think of creation groaning. This type of literature is actually attributing human characteristics to an animal or to nature or even to God himself. We see that God inspired this type of literature to help us understand. For example, we do not have the capacity to understand God. So, God describes himself in Scripture by using language we can understand. For example, the psalmist writes, The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and the ears, his ears are open to their cry. But we know the Bible te teaches us that God is spirit and does not have a body like we do. So God inspires this type of language so that we would understand that he is always watching over us, and that he is constantly concerned for our well-being. God knows we can't understand him, but we understand ourselves. So he uses language that we understand to describe him. And so we see that God inspired the apostle in Romans chapter 8 to use this type of literature to help us understand the frustration of creation since the fall. You see, we understand what it feels like to wait eagerly. We understand what it means to have anxious longing. We know what it means to groan in pain. 
So God inspires this type of language so that we would have a comprehension of the depth of corruption that's actually in creation. The point is, is that creation eagerly waits with anxious longing for the second coming of Christ. When believers will receive their glorified body. Until that day, it groans in frustration with corruption. On the day when Christ returns, if you have placed your faith in the righteousness of Christ, you will be ushered into the final heaven and the final earth. Now, if you listen to others, believers will spend eternity floating on clouds, wearing white robes, plucking harps, and looking like chubby little angels. But the Bible assures us that God will create a new earth on which we shall live to his glory forever and ever. Amen. We will live in a glorified, resurrected, imperishable body. And on this new earth we will spend eternity enjoying its beauty, exploring its resources, and using all the treasures of this new earth to bring glory to God. Heaven and earth will no longer be separated as they are now. They will be one unified creation and we will forever enjoy the presence of God. As we find in Revelation, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Amen. You see, the new heaven and the new earth will be a gloriously renovated and transformed heaven and earth. Not another, but the same one renewed, absent of any stain of sin, And every trace of the curse of corruption will be removed. God will set creation free from its slavery to corruption to enjoy the freedom of glory shared with the children of God. At the second coming of Christ, those who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ will be gloriously resurrected, miraculously changed, into an imperishable, glorified existence and will be ushered into this new creation. You can count on it. The Bible tells us that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. We see this burning will destroy everything. The elements will melt all things with this intense heat. As Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away. But according to his promise, we are looking to the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Amen? See, the the fire will not do away with the universe. 
The fire will just simply burn away the old. And the earth will be gloriously renewed and transformed. Our final dwelling for eternity shall in fact be a renewed version of the planet earth. Jesus in his teachings refers to this as this new heaven and new earth as the regeneration. And God inspires the apostle Peter to call it the restoration of all things. Earth, paradise loss will become paradise regained. And many theologians believe that the new heaven and new earth will be even better than Eden was. You see, the work of Christ was not only intended to save individual souls. The work of Christ was intended also to to, to restore the cosmos back to a glorious condition. The Bible says it like this. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, that is Jesus, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. It was the Father's good pleasure to reconcile all things, whether on earth or in heaven, through the work of Christ on the cross. It was the Father's kind intentions, the scriptures teach us, which he set forth in Christ, to administrate a plan suitable for the fullness of time. That is, summing up all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on the earth. Praise be to his holy name. Now, the most vivid description of this new earth is given to us in Revelation chapter 21 and the first four verses. We see the apostle writing this divine dream. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death, there will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. So let's unpack this a little bit. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and first earth passed away. Now what's interesting here is the Greek word that's used for new 
is the word that means new in its nature or new in its quality. In the Greek, there's another word that you could be used in reference to new in time or new in origin. So when the apostle says, I saw a new heaven and new earth, he's talking about an earth that is in high quality. A new creation. The new heaven and new earth will not be one, a new one, but the same one, renewed, sinless, and without corruption. Then the apostle says, and there is no longer any sea. Now, the sea is seen, particularly in the book of Revelation, as a symbol of conflict and unrest. The roaring, raging tempests of the waves perpetually engaged in conflict with one another symbolizes the tensions that exist among people in our fallen nature, but also in reference to the devastations that come through natural disasters. But in the new heaven and new earth, there is no longer any sea. Relational, physical, and environmental conflicts will no longer exist in the new earth. Now, the, the prophet Isaiah paints this beautiful picture of what this new earth will, will be like when he writes God's holy words saying, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatting together, as a boy will, and a boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like an ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of a cobra. And a winged child shall put his hand in a viper's den. They will not be hurt or destroyed in all of my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water covers the sea. See with what beautiful language God is trying to relate to us the total other of this new creation. The total other. Today, the wolf and the lamb do not lie down together. The leopard does not lie down with the, with the goat. Barbara and I were able to go on several safaris this last uh, summer and we actually saw, we didn't actually see the kill, but a, a lion, a full grown lion had killed a baby elephant and he had dragged that baby elephant between two trees and he was head in on this thing. Having lunch. In the new heaven and new earth, that's not the way it's going to be. No more conflict. Nothing. Because the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Then the apostle goes on and says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down 
of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. The holy city, the, the new Jerusalem, symbolizes the dwelling place of the glorified church of God. Us. Coming down out of heaven from God. Now the holy city, this new Jerusalem, is described even more later on in chapter 21 of Revelation. Which tells us that this place has architectural, engineering, and design perfection. And all this is to symbolize the perfection of God who dwells there and the perfection of his sons and daughters who dwell with him. The church will be without spot or blemish, completely purified from sin, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And then the apostle says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among them, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. So here we see, as God walked with Adam in the garden prior to the fall, so now in this new heaven and new earth, the Lord will dwell with his glorified people. And he will wipe away Every tear from your eye, there will no longer be any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain. Why? Because the first things have passed away, praise be to God. No more fatal accidents. No more incurable diseases. No more funeral services. No, long, no more final farewells. On the new earth, the people of God will enjoy an everlasting and unbroken fellowship with God and with his people. Christ, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, has made all things new to those who overcome through Christ. They will inherit these things. In conclusion, John Lennon, one of the Beatles, wrote in his song, Imagine. Imagine there is no heaven, no hell above us, below us. Imagine all the people living for today. Now, Lennon's theology is enjoyed by wide appeal. It's inviting us to live exclusively for the right now. Supposing that we can live without any consequence for the future. Supposing that we can live without any consequence of eternity. And Jesus says, is this exactly the type of mindset that people would have prior to his coming? When they would be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Basically, the idea is they just go on with their own lives, enjoying the good things of this life without giving any consideration for the life to come. And it's my calling today to ask you to consider life that is to come.
These people are the same ones who will mock us, saying, well, where is the promise of his coming? And as I shared with you last week, the Lord responds to their mocking, saying, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but to all come to repentance. Heaven is real. And so is hell. God's slowness is a manifestation of his patience and his loving restraint towards you. Not willing, not wishing for any to perish, not wishing that you would perish. But he wants all to come to repentance. He wants you and I to come to repentance. Now, do not think lightly or take advantage of the kindness and forbearance and patience of God. But rather, let his kindness lead you to repentance. Come to Christ today. Come to Christ. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. And the Bible tells us that all who believe in him will not be disappointed. You won't be disappointed in this life, and you won't be disappointed in eternity. Come to Christ. Come to Christ, the one who knew no sin who became sin on our behalf so that we might know the righteousness of God through him. For the believer today, since the Lord is coming and there will be a new heaven and new earth, the Apostle Peter writes that we should seek to live for the glory of God in all conduct. The emphasis is that we would make ourselves ready. We've talked about this the last couple of weeks. That we would take this waiting time as an opportunity to really make ourselves ready. I like the way that God inspired the writer of Hebrews to say, Since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. My hope today is I have shown you from Scripture that there will be a new heaven and new earth and that we who are in Christ will receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So, what shall we do until the Lord comes? Let us show gratitude and let us offer to God Acceptable service with reverence and awe. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you today and confess that we have the tendency of just going our merry way, enjoying the good things of this life without giving any thought of eternity. And Lord, I, today I have heard the good news, and by your Spirit I feel that you are calling me unto Christ. 
Christ Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sins. I ask you, Lord, to claim me as a child of God. And as your children, Lord, we pray that you would give us a sense of longing, anxious expectation, and desire for the things to come. Lord, help us to live our lives as you tarry with reverence and all giving to you the acceptable service that you deserve, showing you the gratitude in our hearts that you have saved us. Lord, work in us by your Holy Spirit to make us that bride who has made herself ready. Lord, work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.